Hi, it's Kylie Davis from the PropTech Podcast here with a bonus PropTech panel episode courtesy of the PropTech Association of Australia and Stone and Chalk. This is a commercial PropTech panel that discusses the secrets to selling and buying PropTech for commercial property. Our guests are Scott Wilson from Forbury, Sharif Hassan from Released, Greg Preston from Preston Row Patterson, and Katrina Newcombe from Investor. Your host is Simon Hayes from PwC and the PropTech Association. The never-ending challenge of startups and scale-ups is getting more customers. Who are they? Where are they? How do you get them interested? How do we close a sale? And on the other hand, the customers or the end users are, are grappling with their own challenges. Do we need new technology to change? Should we buy or build? Will we need to significantly change the way we do our workflows each day? Or will we have we need to have a huge training effort to implement the new technology? Hi, my name is Simon Hayes, and I'm the secretary of the PropTech Association. And it's great to have you here for today's panel discussion on the secrets to buying and selling PropTech in the commercial property space. Before introducing our panelists, I'd especially like to thank our main sponsors, Stone and Chalk, who have made this event possible, and our foundation partners, Macquarie Bank, Ashurst Lawyers the Real Estate Institute of Western Australia, PEXA, and Webbit. Now, most importantly, to introduce our panellists. Uh, to share their experiences and provide great insights from a prop tech perspective, we have got two New Zealand companies making headway in Australia and overseas. The first of these prop techs is Forbury, and we have Scott Wilson, who is the CEO on the panel today. Hi, Scott. Good afternoon. How's it going? Good. And then the second prop tech is released, and we have Sharif Hassan, who is the head of APAC. Hi, Sharif. Hey, thanks for having me. And providing their valuable perspectives from a customer or end, end user point of view, we have two very well-known and respected Australian companies. The first of these companies is Preston Row Patterson. We have Greg Pass. Greg Preston, who is the Chairman and Managing Director on the panel today. Hi, Greg. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having us. Yeah, and the second company that needs no introduction is Investor. And we have Katrina Newcomb, who is the National Head of Asset Services. Hi, Hi Katrina. Hi. And uh, so, so welcome, everyone, and thank you. Um, and I should say, look, if anyone, um, when we're talking, if anyone w wants to jump in and has certainly have things to add, please do so. Um, please jump in at any time and, and interrupt me. That's absolutely fine. So, um, look, I really thought we'd just start with uh, a prop tech. And I thought we'd start with Scott. So, um, so, Scott, let's start with you and let's find out some of Forbury's secrets, shall we? Uh, perhaps if you can provide, say, an elevator pitch for Forbury and then a quick overview of the company's market, marketing and sales approach, target customers and growth over the years. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Um, so, Forbury is a commercial real estate appraisal valuation software solution uh, built for and validated by uh, institutional investors in commercial real estate. Um, 
So uh, that's meant investors and valuers, and that's taken us over the last two decades to get to this point. So our software is used for capital transactions analysis, for uh, external valuation instructions, and sometimes asset management. We uh, serve international markets. We began here in Australia, and we also have customers in Singapore, Japan, the UK, and elsewhere as well. So our target customers are really the owners of commercial real estate, um, particularly those engaged in the buying and selling of commercial real estate. So if you imagine a big due diligence exercise, maybe a group that's looking to cover a whole heap of the market with a a small group of people. Our software is used by those groups. Uh, it's also used by valuers uh, where we've seen a very sophisticated set of requirements and a lot of need for an edge case uh, analysis solution as well that can handle a lot of complexity. Our approach to sales and marketing uh, is a reasonably new discipline for Forbury. We've been a product-minded engineering-led business since inception. So until recently, I would have characterized our sales and marketing approach as quite reactive, um, but that's changing and it has to because we're approaching newer markets and no one in these new markets knows who we are and what, how could they? So right now, this is a big focus of this business and uh, in particular, how we can scale the business as a result of that investment. So a bit of a sense on our growth story, we are growing around about 60% year on year, our user base. Um, and to give you a sense on the size of the business, we're processing around about half a million valuations per year uh, from around about 12,000 properties. We're operating in five time zones, three languages, and we are spread. Uh, over hybrid office locations in seven different countries. Oh my goodness, that is that's fantastic. And so, when did you? Okay, so the, a good question to be is: you've started, you've transitioned into say this the new sort of approach to marketing and sales because you've had to. Uh, and, and sort of what was the what were the triggers around that? Um, you know, just in terms, you just go explore that for a little bit. Yeah, sure. So um, a big trigger has been. Uh, we have invested heavily, I guess, in a, at a product center of business for a mm. long time. And uh, we have spent a lot of time refining and refining and scaling out that solution. So it's meant a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of eyeballs, a lot of late nights in the business spent on um, building out those edge case requirements, making the product faster, making the product simpler to use, handling more use cases. Uh, the flip and, and, and really, I guess, the augmentation of a sales and marketing culture in the business is a response response to the investment we've made to really start to, um, I guess, get to a point where we feel confident putting the foot down. And certainly with that growth um, that you that you are having, say, in Australia and overseas, do you feeling like, what what sort of do you think you'd put down to the key factors for success, you know, that, that, you've, that you've seen so far in your growth? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's um, it's a good question. I think that um, th there's a lot of lessons, and I think if mm. I look back on the time that I've spent in this business, there's a lot of mistakes that I've made as well. I think what's really important to understand, I guess, in terms of how I've uh, played a role in that, is I've been the one doing founder sales, and a big mm. uh, a big transition point for any prop tech or any any startup, especially a SaaS business, is getting to a point where other people in the business can sell the product or service rather than just the founder. It's very important in the early days for the founder to be able to sell the product because if the founder can't do it, who mm. else can? <laughs> Equally, you're getting a lot of product feedback in, in Intel in those early days as well. So, look, I think I think one of the key lessons that um, has taken me a long time to get to is having that very intimate understanding of the problem that you're solving and how your product solves it. So, it's the old adage, people don't want a quarter-inch drill. They 
they want a quarter inch hole. Uh, I, it took me a long time to, to learn this lesson. I was so eager to, you know, jump into demonstrations and present features. Uh, whereas now it's very much a benefits focused um, uh, pitch that we give. So during that founder stage of Forbury, um, I was pitching Forbury. I didn't understand it and I was so thrilled in the solution. I'd, I was eager to show and demonstrate the product. When I pitch Forbury now, and it's usually for a slightly different purpose and audience, um, I usually don't even get to the product. Uh, I'll talk to stories about where we've come from as a business. I'll talk to the customers, the customer segments that we help, the pain points we solve for them, and as quickly as possible get a conversation going because until you actually understand uh, who you're talking to and what problems they have, it can be very difficult to present any option in front of them because it, it really comes down to what, if there's a match and if there is a match, what, what you might present next. Okay. And especially so that's a great insight. Thank you. Cause it, it's really, a, once it's coming back to that real end or the customer point of view and finding out what their problems are, as you said, with a quarter inch hole, it's actually finding out their problem rather than actually pitching us, pitching a solution, which they may not have a problem to. So that's what it sounds like what you've learned over the years. Um, well, I might move on. Um, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, yeah, look, I think I think I'd just like yeah. to emphasize one other point there as well as um, as what's really important in that stage as well, getting really really good at discovery um, and not confusing this with a pitch as well. So if you get an inbound inquiry or if um, you know you're introduced to someone who might have a need for a product like yours, another mistake that's commonly made is mixing up the pitch with discovery. So if you imagine a scenario where someone has reached out, they want to learn more about your product. Uh, and you're interested in helping solve that that um, that pain point they have, and you you just know or you're just convinced that your product is right for them. You don't need to ask any questions. You get straight to it. Here's my killer app, and here's how it's going to solve all your problems. So what we you know we don't do that. Um, what we do is we get obsessive about discovery. So you know who is this company that we're talking to? What makes them unique? What's special about that company? Who got in touch? Why did they get in touch? Have they used Forbury before? And if so. Uh, when and if they didn't how did they hear about us why now why is the timing important for them uh, and also have they considered x y and z about um, how they might think about a solution or bringing on a solution like Forbury so trying to get really good at recognizing what's discovery and putting a big uh, difference between that discovery point and the pitch itself um, is, is a really important one and it's a difficult skill for startups so then it certainly took us time to get to that point Okay, that's very good, great insight. Look, before going on to um, Sharif, I uh, to, to you know to divulge some of really uh, sales secrets. I want to explore the buying approach with Greg. Now, the reason why is that PRP has recently implemented Forbury into its workflow, and so I, I was interested in sort of exploring that and the reasons, you know, the decisions around it. So, but um, but it, before getting into that, so. Could um, perhaps Greg, you could tell us, you know, a little bit about, um, you know, PRP, but also, um, you know, your use of technology um, and the implementation of Forbury. Um, yeah, thanks, Simon. Um, we were a startup 30 years ago, um, so in a modern sense, it's probably a little bit uh, a while, some time ago, that we actually got our business going, but we've now got 32 offices around Australia. Um, across all asset class sectors, too, we operate in terms of evaluation advisory business, from agribusiness through to commercial, retail, industrial, um, hotels, a lot of infrastructure work, airports, shipping ports and whatnot, so it's a very broad base to what we do. Um, and because of that, we do need to be um, 
uh, au fait with or using um, the latest uh, technology that's available to us. And uh, Forbury, by way of example, we've been um, uh, doing our own just get a cash flow type um, valuations for to kick our business off and before we uh, other businesses and uh, you know developing it ourselves and trying to augment and, and um, uh, make what we had better but investing a lot of money doing it and when there's a product like Forby that's specifically it was a, sort of got to a point where we were tipping money down a black hole internally and just couldn't keep up type of thing but it's not our core business which is advising on real estate not actually building software to a point um, we also um, have other applications that we use regularly and um, we've got code writers in our business where we're developing our, our product platform for doing valuations across all sectors. PRP um, online software, it's a paperless office come tablet-based um, property inspection system. And we recently, uh, as COVID hit last year, we partnered with Velocity, another New Zealand company, heavily into um, valuation, aggregation, etc., and developed a, um, a, an inspection app where we could inspect properties with COVID property and photograph features and things like that. So the onset of COVID sort of rapidly advanced a few things, which has been fabulous. I think there's a fair bit more coming in the prop tech area with things like that. But we also use other software but it's a, it just we need to be moving with the times all the time and adapting and evolving. Yeah. And did you so just the in terms of the um, the process, say, and I appreciate certainly is great insight into into sort of your use of technology. And certainly you've got the internal and the external process going in terms of looking and using and adapting um, as quickly as possible to the changing market. Uh, what would be, you know, in terms of say you can use Forber as an example, what was the internal process and decision-making that you would have, have approached, you know, the use of, um, in purchasing a Forbury or, you know, say other technologies that you are looking at? Sort of just, just generally explain that one. Yeah, look, Forbury's a good example. I mean, we were doing our own version of it, um, but it wasn't keeping up with the advances that, you know, continually upgrading and um, it brings a lot of advantages to a business like ours in terms of revaluing assets where the data, you know, the, the tenancy and cash flow data built into the system, which is very sophisticated in terms of dealing with some of the things we have to deal with day by day, like tenant incentives, which are very complicated. Um, in terms of cash coming um, so we got to a point where we were um, developing our own features that Fulbury had. Um, then a lot of our clients, like the institutional property owners, um, Register, um, you know, all the REITs and, um, and so on, um, both listed and unlisted, all use the product. So it's very easy to share information and, and the data upon which we rely to, to do what we do um, using the Fulbright platform. So it became a no-brainer to us um, to uh, you know, stop the pathway we've been going down so because we'd invested mm. Getting on to half a million dollars trying to develop our own thing over four, five, six years, and it just gets silly. <laughs> well, it's not a good business. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So mm. I might, I might move on just quickly to um, Sharif because I wanted to discuss released and hi Sharif. Um, perhaps look if you can provide a quick elevator pitch for 
uh, released. Um, and then just, you know, a quick overview around the company's marketing and sales approach, um, target customers and growth of growth of sales over the years. Sure. Yeah. So uh, a release is a, it's a cloud-based uh, application dedicated to improving the operations of commercial property managers, whether it be a commercial agency or a landlord or institution managing their portfolio in-house. So we do this by centering around three key outcomes, business outcomes. So first of all, it's dropping what we describe as the cost per management or, you know, by streamlining the admin process for both property management and accounting functions by providing uh, a central integrated system where accessible for all stakeholders. So from the accounts team, the property management team to the management team, but also externally with the tenants and, and the landlords. And so so all, all stakeholders involved with the management of that lease uh, have the access to information as and when they need it. Uh, and we've also invested a lot of it a lot of um, you know, development and, and R&D into the actual user experience side, which we actually think is one of the biggest factors in our success. Um, secondly, aside from the efficiency gains, we are invested in, in mitigating the actual risks of missed key, key, key lease events, uh, access control to key users, centralizing the information, which is typically spread uh, across spreadsheets or in people's heads. And, and then they leave the business and information gets lost and things get missed. Uh, and finally, it's actually measuring and tracking and analyzing that information about the property leases and team performance in a real-time dashboard with live metrics. So what we really want to do is allow decision makers to have the information at a rate they've never had it before. So really live uh, and, and, and flexible information that, that can be displayed in, in a number of ways um, to really allow for that data-led decision-making and based on, on the performance. Um, and also we benchmark it across, across our uh, release database because we've reached a, a critical mass of, of information about leases and a lot of the geographies that we operate in, uh, we're able to, to provide that third-party neutral perspective on what's happening across the market when it, when it, with regards to leases uh, and, and lease terms, lease lengths, all, the, all that, these types of uh, metrics. Um, so, so with that, uh, a bit about the company, we started uh, very similar to Forbury, started in New Zealand uh, probably a little bit later, back in 2013, uh, quickly expanded across to Australia uh, and the UK uh, and also across to the US now as well. So uh, I think we have roughly about five or six hybrid offices as, uh, as Scott described them. Uh, and uh, to, uh, we are, I think the latest figures, we are processing about $7 billion of rent per year. Uh, or across some 200,000 leases. Uh, so it's a, it's a, that's where really we were stepping more into that data space where we have that uh, access to a lot of that information. Um, and us, you know, coming into our own internal operations, um, because we've got those two key market segments um, being property management companies, but then, then um, you know, landlords and institutional landlords, but those who manage it in-house, um, we're able to offer that data back uh, in, in, a, in a value add way. Um, our marketing and sales uh, function has really developed as well over the time that we've been um, operating the market. And I think it's actually uh, almost a, a typical in New Zealand businesses that we focus a lot on getting the products right um, from very early on and, and almost want to get it perfect before we scale up the marketing and sales operations. Mm. Uh, whereas if you look at the, the kind of the American way to go, you know, as soon as they've got an MVP, they've rolled out 50 salespeople oh, and they're ready to go, go to market. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a nice middle ground to that. And, and we've really kind of developed in that and made a lot of mistakes along the way in learning, um, you know, who, not only who our customers are, but who our salespeople are, who, who works in these types of positions um, and, and understanding, you know, 
you know, what's, what's their best fit to go to that market. So, I mean, with, with how technology has gone now, we know that 60% of the actual buying process is done before they even get to us or even, or even speak to us. So uh, it's about, first of all, having that really strong marketing engine that's, that's packaging us, everything that, that any type of touch point they have with us um, in the marketplace tells a story and is leading them down the, the path, which, which we want to offer. Um, but it's also about, you know, give, give, give before you can get. So yeah. whether it's, uh, you know, providing that value in, in terms of data, providing that value in terms of insights uh, and, and really, you know, demanding that, uh, that time once you've earned that credibility. Uh, and, and we do that for, from, from both directions. So starting off, we, we had, we were very much inbound driven. Uh, we relied a lot on, on, on in terms of our growth. I think we had very, very similar growth figures to, to Forbury. Uh, and that, that was uh, really based on our inter- integrations with other, other uh, softwares uh, and just our word of mouth in the market. But we realized uh, in the last couple of years that for us to really achieve you know, the goals and enter in the markets and, and really tackle some other competitors, which might've been there for a long time. Um, and when we're starting to, to, to become a little bit outdated, we've had to become very good from an outbound perspective yeah. uh, and, and, and really being able to, to get in front of the people that we want to talk to as and when they want to be spoken to. Uh, and so there's been a lot of trial and error in, in that respect. Um, but it really, we really kind of, put it down to that uh, give, give, give side and being able to offer that value first before, you know, asking for, for a coffee or a chat or, or really wanting to, to book a meeting from there. And how, um, and I, look, I understand just from, you know, discussions with yourself and others that uh, you certainly started with uh, targeting smaller clients or smaller, smaller owners, uh, smaller agencies, and you've moved in and obviously now targeting the larger, the larger corporates or the larger, larger owners. Is that sort of, and what sort of, um, what things have you learned about, you know, transitioning say from a, you know, from the smaller, smaller segment or the, of the market to the larger segment? Is there sort of something, insights there that, that you can offer? Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, typically, as you'd expect, when you when you are dealing with larger customers, there's there's perhaps several layers of, of the decision process being made. Uh, they might typically be a little bit more. They might have someone dedicated to to that procurement side and, and purchasing technology, so they might be a little bit more educated in that space in that process. Uh, that aside, I think regardless of who you're selling to, whether they're small or big. The buyer, you know, when you engage with the buyer, they don't want to waste their time just as much as a salesperson doesn't want to waste their time. And typically for our customer base, it's um, not, you know, one of, if not the only technology decision they've, they've been making in that year. So we, we, we really want to take the lead on that process um, with our best practice, but then have that very in-depth dis- discovery. I think discovery in Scott Nell is, is the number one piece for us in terms of spending time the best way, but also delivering the best outcome. So we've got a very, very in-depth discovery conversation to understand what's driving the discussion, uh, the decision, what factors are affecting their decision, what, what factors haven't they considered um, based on our knowledge, and really understand that pain, um, the root pain, but also the peripheral effects of that pain uh, as well. So uh, you know, it, it's, it's really what we, what we want to do because not only is it so important to get that right, but actually understanding are we the best fit to solve this problem and figuring that out early on. And, and that's where the partner relationships we have, for example, for Brian and with PwC can allow us to focus on the buyer outcome um, and then spend more time helping on those which we're well positioned to help. Yeah, sure. Sure. I might, um, I might uh, 
say hi to Katrina and um, certainly move on. She's been waiting patiently. So thank you very much for that, Katrina. Hi. Um, and look, and I, I know that with your wealth of experience, you are no stranger to um, property management systems. That's for sure. Um, you certainly with your with your your background. Um, look, and, and look, but instead of yeah discussing say your 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 experiences in that area, I'd really like to start with just more of a general question and and your and and your understanding of say how are large property companies like Investor thinking of, thinking about and approaching technology? Yeah, and so I'm asking this in the context of that I understand Investor has developed its own technology. Um, and has also purchased technology externally from PropTex. So if you just let us in on, a, on, on sort of that sort of understanding at the moment in a general sense, and then we can sort of dive into some more issues. Yeah, sure. Um, we do do a bit of both and we always have. So the history of Investor as one of Australia's largest commercial property owners is that sometimes there are not products in the market that suit what we need and what we want to do. Um, so over you know, the history of the last decade, we've dabbled in sort of developing our own software, but not fully internalised. We've always had a partner. Um, so a lot of you would have seen things on LinkedIn and other social media platforms recently about um, some things that we've been doing with Spark Beyond. Um, and that's not us going out on our own. That was us saying, well, we think we've got a bit of a pain point here. And we've thrown a whole lot of resources at that pain point. And Spark Beyond have thrown their amazing data washing machine, I call it. Um, and we've come up with a product that has helped us to identify some sites um, which will assist our capital transactions team. Um, so a bit of a journey. Um, a couple of lucky people got to go to Israel and have conversations with Spark Beyond. We've done similar, similar things with Willow. Um, so Willow um, have put digital twins in a few of our assets and through that journey we've expanded what that digital twin looks like. We've then developed with them um, an app that our tenants use. So it's our tenant engagement app and Greg being a tenant in one of our buildings is probably has probably seen insight. Um, so very much back end is all Willow and their technology because we're not IT people, we're property people, but all of the, the way it looks at the front end, what we need in it, how it's going to work, that functionality is all our intel. So we really go into partnerships with people rather than saying we can do it ourselves. Um, and then if I look at an example, given Scott's on, on the phone of where we've gone with a smaller company, a couple of years ago, we were using one of the big beefy softwares to run our capital transaction models to work out what we wanted to pay for a site. And it was clunky, it was hard, people were making mistakes, it was really difficult to change parameters. And one of the agents we were using at the time was using Forbury and said, Forbury's way easier, it's simple, it gives you what you want, you can just get in there and tweak and play. And we were introduced to Scott and his team. Um, we then said, well, we'll do this on a trial basis. It's not going to cost us a whole lot of money to get our initial pack of five licences. And I think, Scott, we might be at 15 or maybe even 20 now. We sort of keep growing. Um, and we played around with it. And as we played around with it, we said, oh, actually, it's not just useful for the Catrans team. This is useful for my asset managers to do leasing deal scenarios because it's easy. Once they know how to use it, they can get in and change things really quickly. And, and Forbury, as Scott said, they engage with their customers. So the whole way along, it was what else could we do for you? What else would make this make sense to embed this 
using your business more. And those conversations meant that Thornbury actually put a lot of our suggestions in their development pipeline and we were then able to use it more fully across the business. So um, I very much look at IT and the solutions and anybody coming to us, it's, it's got to be a partnership because it's rare for a company like Investor to say, yes, this product completely off the shelf is going to work for me because it just doesn't. Um, yeah. We've got lots of different ways that we want things done um, and whether they're good, bad or indifferent. Um, so we need to work with partners who are adaptable and can change and tweak things. Do it. Uh, that's good. Thank you. And and okay. And one of the definitely one of the questions would be is then okay. I have a I'm a prop tech. I have a solution which I think would be potentially great, and I'm happy to work with investor. How what would be the best way to approach someone like investor? You know, with 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 my solution. You know, is it a I'm knock on the door or emails? Because I'm not going to respond. Um, <laughs> we get right. lots of prop tech companies. I mean, you know, prop tech's a buzzword at the moment. Lots of companies are out in the all sorts of different products and there would be not a day go by that I don't receive an email from somebody saying, have I got a product for you? Well, they actually don't know what I want. So they can't tell me they've got the product for me. Um, having those intros, finding somebody that knows somebody, an investor or that knows somebody who works with investor or whatever it might be, you know, our relationship with Forbury very much came from agents we were working with. It was Savills who said, this is great, you know, use it. We went and had a play with it. We saw what they were doing and we said, yeah, we think we like this. Um, it's generally our relationships come through introductions. Right. Occasionally it will be that opportune conversation that happens at a conference and people get talking and they go, oh, maybe you can actually give us a solution here. Um, but generally it's knowing somebody, not just spamming with emails because you will not get a great hit rate doing that. Mm. And it certainly will, it sounds like it's certainly someone who's actually using the product as well, who uh -huh. can then, you know, then obviously can pass on yeah. the information that, and the experiences that they've had as well. Yeah, definitely uh, helps. Yeah. And what about in yourself, Greg, would you have any insight into saying, okay, well, look, you know, someone's got another, like a great valuation solution, whatever that may be. Um, yeah. You know, what would be the best way you think would be approaching PRP? Always keeping you to the ground, I think, Simon, with for things that are emerging. Um, but direct approach, I think, through um, knowing um, somebody that's got something that they, 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 that's tailored to what we do. I mean, we're always looking at what our competitors are doing in terms of um, prop tech and IT as well, um, because it really drives efficiencies into our business and because it's very process driven um, in some parts of it. So, um, but a lot of that comes from um, the people that are aggregating valuation services for the banks. Um, we've, we've, our PR system has got a lot of bolt-ons to it that um, B2Bs into most of the banks sort of things. So instructions for valuation work just come straight through the pipeline to us. But in terms of um, the new things, we're always on the lookout for things that will streamline our processes. So, I mean, usually the direct contacts are the best way, but, um, you know, emails are bobbing up to do with new prop tech um, things, we'll always have a look at them just to see whether we can fit it in or you know, it does marry up with what we're trying to do or give us other ideas about how we might deal with, it, deal with things better. So it's um, it's flexible, I think is probably the answer. Um, but you're very keen to hear about new things and how we might be able to embrace them. Sure, sure. And um, back to um, Scott then, just... Um 
what about the yeah in terms of in terms of you've gone down the discovery channel um with people and you know you obviously identify people people have either you know like companies have either approached you um you're, you're going down the discovery channel um and then obviously the next point is um moving on to say the, the sales pitch and, and and moving people along that that funnel that sales funnel that everyone calls it um so, yeah what do you think are the key factors of getting to yes yeah for yeah buy a company Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think um, I think Sharif said it before. Um, if you if you've got someone in your sales pipeline, sixty percent of the work's done. Um, mm. And certainly, uh, the way that Relaced and Forbury have evolved uh, through word of mouth, primarily to begin with, anyway, um, a, a lot of that um, that vetting and that validation is kind of self-selecting, as as um, uh, as we were talking about earlier. So, mm. I mean, if you Getting getting to yes, I mean, uh, kind of understand understanding who your buyer, who your target buyer is, what that ideal customer profile looks like as well is important. Um, you know, if you're in that sale process and you're talking to the junior who maybe doesn't have the authority, um, or if you you know you're in uh, a reasonably corporate procurement process that we we're talking about before as well. You know, if you have to complete an RFP or if security is a focus for the the company, yeah might have to fill out a security questionnaire or uh, maybe legal have to review your terms. All of these things can take a long time. So it's not so much getting a yes, it's how quickly sometimes you can get to a yes. Uh, But I think that if you are in a sales process and if you're in dialogue with a group like PRP or an investor, um, there is generally a commitment to change and and maybe the the decision about what change to to make is, is still being made. So I think the primary factor is to distill into your sales process exactly why doing nothing and sitting on this is not going uh, or, or going to back to the market is not going to help and be prepared to be honest, you know, be ready to talk candidly about the competing alternatives to your software. Yeah. Uh, be ready to pour time into meeting compliance activity. Um, know your terms of use inside out. So if you're getting grilled by an in-house lawyer, <laughs> you know, which points to, um, to, to, to renege on which ones to, to say, no, no, we're not going to change that. But most of all, I think, um, I think we were talking about before, if you can get your buyers talking, if you've got customers out there that are really happy with your product or service, they're going to be big advocates for you. If you can get dialogue going between your ideal customer groups, um, then you've got several happy customers that can help really promote that. That's that's crucial. Um, It takes time uh, because change takes time, but I think removing those barriers and and looking at creative ways to, um, to help your customers complete their due diligence process is really important. Okay, very good. And what about um, Sheriff? Just to, if you could add some insight to that, but in particular, because I know that uh, look, released have have some have other competitors out there, you know, that are offering similar uh, products, and and no doubt you would um, come, you know, if, if a company was going out and looking for a product um, such as a property management system, um, you would be, you know, potentially up against those, uh, those other systems. Are you, how are you, how are you getting to yes? Or what are you sort of, what, what do you think the process is there that's sort of, you know, winning you the, the opportunities that are coming to you? Someone was going to do it this call. Uh, I think, um, first of all, the, the process in terms of the software as a service, um, there's a big stress on the service element of that and being able to 
compete by being there when, as and when you need them. For example, we have a, our internal policy that if someone contacts us, we're on the phone with them within within five minutes, and that's the kind of starting uh, mm. impression that we want to set right from the get go. Uh, but it's really understanding that that sales process and and making sure. I mean, internally for us, um, it's very common for salespeople to have happy ears. You know, you hear what you want to hear from from the prospect and and, and come to the conclusions on that basis. But really having a rigorous um, process of, of where people are in the sales cycle and asking the right questions to understand that because the worst thing is if the salesperson's misaligned and they're pushing for a close when the buyer's not ready or mm. still still doing their research and understanding that. So uh, one, one of the key things that we want to do in the, in the initially in the, in the sale the cycle is um, agreeing on a mutual timeline. Uh, that That's something that... that, that key milestones that are leading up to a decision that are agreed from both yourself and, and from the buyer. Uh, and uh, well, there's one trick that I like to use because a lot of the time after the follow-up, you, you come off a meeting and things can go into the abyss. And it's not because they're not interested, but typically the buyers, this is not their one priority. Your, your one priority is selling software. Their priorities is, is one of a hundred things that they're doing. Um, so staying top of mind can can be uh, a challenge, but do it. But, but agreeing timeframes, agreeing follow-up times, uh, really really scheduling that, but making it their own. So I typically, after the initial, initial meeting, I, I send them an email rather than saying, hey, this is the timeline that we agreed on and the email gets read or, or sent, to, sent to read directly from the start, I actually say, hey, I think we were wrong about this particular part of the timeline and get them to actually engage with it and say, oh, no, this should be this or this should be that. But really, um, you know, like Scott said, getting to the yes is a matter of, uh, of of answering all the questions. If you are the right fit, then it's about working through the timeline. And, mm. and, um, and all the way back to the discovery, it's actually not just talking through the pain points, but, but really being able to quantify those pain points. And, and that can be a little tricky at first, but just asking, keep diving into those questions so that when you know, you know exactly what problem you're solving, but how much that problem is actually solving them. So great. I mean, so by delaying this decision by three months, you're actually costing yourself $40,000 in terms of missed opportunity time. So really getting to that detail and the discovery is going to serve you well when, in terms of managing that process. Right. Okay, thank you. And what about, um, and I know, I know with uh, Released, you've been also developing many APIs, you know, with other applications that can plug in. Has this, uh, do you feel that's helped sales, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, the opportunities that are coming to you? 100%. I mean, that, it's all about the connected cloud. Right? The, and, uh, the, the, the fact that we are able to operate in this uh, in this environment means that we can integrate with other solutions that truly offer the best package for that. And then um, and the buyer will be able to pick and choose the solutions that work best for them. But we can focus on being the best commercial property management software uh, rather than trying to be a generalist and, and focus on a lot of different tools. So being able to be connected uh, give, gives you the best shot of one competing with perhaps outdated server-based solutions, but also uh, but also really having that package and being focused on that from that buyer perspective. Okay, that's good. And what about and what about you, Katrina? In terms of, um, would you would you think that that's an advantage, or how would you how would say approaching the purchasing decision yeah. around a company offering yeah you know, other APIs, or or is that a bit of a you know something that you're not really after? 
Um, uh, but definitely something we're after. Okay. Um, we've got lots of different systems that we use across our business. So the more they talk to each other, the less manual handling there is of data in between the systems, the less errors you have. So the more we can talk to each other and integrate systems, um, it is much easier for us to get what we need out of that product. Yeah, so I would so. say it's actually one of our number one priorities. If we've got standalone software that can't talk to anything else, mm. we kind of like, yeah, that's great, but <laughs> it won't cut it for us. Mm. Mm. And what about yourself, Greg? Is that because it sounds like, you know, with the amount of data that goes back and forward, um, you know, in your day, no doubt, <laughs> between systems, it must be must be highly useful. It's um, critical, Simon, that we only record it once. So yeah. it's got to feed everything we're doing because um, in what we do, risk management is uh, significant and the human error factor, if you're trying to record multiple data multiple times, which is the old way, um, it's just not, it doesn't cut it these days. So we, we want to, whenever we capture, it goes into, say, Forbury, for example, and then we will then replicate that into our reporting. Um, and one of the other things that with Forbury, that we gravitated to was the fact that our livery colours can all be built into it. So it just slides straight into our own. Yeah, yeah the, the, the key for us is linking systems so we don't have to multiply record data because it's fraught with danger. <laughs> yeah. And and um, I might um, sort of quickly jump in. Actually, no, one, one, before I jump to jump to ask um, Scott another question, I wanted to ask, I've always wanted to ask a value of this. Um, do you think you'll, Greg, do you ever think we'll have a push button valuation? Is it going to be that automated or, or where, you know, is there always going to be the need for a valuer? There are a few things that sort of prevent it, I think, Simon, to be fair. Um, sure. One is, um, look, it's probably more, it's moving that way, but um, in terms of um, some of the regulatory controls around doing valuations through APRA or the Prudential Regulatory Authority, um, they require certain valuations to be by the bank type thing so um, and then on top of that the condition of assets um, so it's all very well for data to be the key and the, the catch all but you've still got to have somebody inspecting the assets and applying the, the value ranges to it now you know, nine o'clock for 20 or 30 years that may be different but it's not something that's on our doorstep just yet yes so yeah. still be, yeah so you shouldn't deter anyone from going into uh, into valuation that's for sure it'll still definitely be a need for it it's very busy at the moment <laughs> um, sorry Scott I'll come back to yourself um, just with the you know I understand that you've gone you're going overseas and it's probably and also we'll sort of ask um, Sharif for a comment but you've gone from New Zealand to Australia and then now to overseas um, you do you no doubt got um, uh, companies that are operating overseas as well. Is there some sales challenges or some sales advantages that you sort of sales insights that you found to, you know, selling selling sort of the product overseas as as a difference to a, a New Zealand or Australia? So any any insights on that? Yeah, I think um, I think it's unique in every geography uh, that sales process, but there are some common threads, and I think what might help is a bit of a story about. Another mistake I've made in this area. Um, I spent uh, three months in Singapore a few years ago, um, and in, in a Forbury role, and uh, I got two pitch opportunities in that three months. And this was because at the time I believed that I had a solution that could work. You know, I, I had a product that I th thought there was a, uh, a need for, but it didn't matter what I had. Um, the the buying process in that market 
did not respond to discovery demos in the same way that I'd expected, rather change in those organizations uh, that I would have pitched to is made gradually and often with trusted partners. So instead of that, I should have been using my time to, I guess, grow and try and foster uh, relationships with potential resellers instead of trying to work through discovery and, and pitching the product. Um, we're now actively targeting the UK. Uh, it's completely different again, and we're, we're not um, as naive to think that we uh, have a one-size-fits-all approach. But I think in each case, there are some common themes. Um, when you go into a new market, no one or at least very few people are likely to have heard of you. Uh, you can you have no employment brand, so finding salespeople is hard. Uh, you, can, you cannot assume anything about what the product market fit might be like until you have talked to dozens, more likely 30 to 40 individuals that are actually prepared to sit down, listen, and provide you honest feedback. And actually more important than, than getting uh, new customers and new markets is getting an honest account and description of where, how, why your product could be relevant for that market. So yeah, having learned by uh, getting this wrong, I think um, there are some common themes there, but it is a big undertaking and sure. and uh, you should be prepared to um, transform everything you've done. So certainly when you, certainly by the sounds of it, when you're going overseas, you need to take time. It's, yeah, there's, there's, there's going to be time involved and, and, and don't expecting immediate results. That's been my experience. Yeah. And, and, and Sharif, head of, head of APAC, um, you must have a few few good insights into into this. Yeah, I'm actually probably in in Scott's uh, Singapore position right now, except doing it from <laughs> from New Zealand. And and yeah, I think I've definitely very, very learned very quickly that the reseller route is is the way to go uh, there. Uh, I mean, thankfully, we've had been able to partner up with with institutions in, in New Zealand, which and 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 learn from some of the previous proptics or just technology companies that have gone into that space. Um, but but absolutely, the the nuances that could affect whether or not the product could work in a particular region, especially in a region that might have other languages or or, or big cultural differences, uh, you know, are very very unique and and require very um, a lot of research and understanding before you go into it. Very similarly, when we went into the UK and and now the US. Our approach was uh, put you know a, a few people on the ground there first, spend a lot of time talking to customers and, and figuring out the product to market fit um, before going going crazy with with growth and, and setting big ambitious targets there. So uh, it's it's been very a very similar experience to Fulbury. Mm, okay, um, Katrina, one last question before we sort of we probably have to finish up soon. But um, just in terms of the investor being a you know obviously a large company and, and a decision-making process. Sort of what are some of the steps likely that a, a prop tech would need to jump through with you? Sort of the red tape steps that, that are, that are, that are you know, common that we need to go through. Just yeah. As a bit of, yeah. I won't lie. There are a few red tape steps <laughs> dealing with larger organisations. Um, we've got multiple layers of approval and depending on the size of investment or product, it might need to go to our board. Um, and if you could go to the board, they don't even meet every month. Sometimes, you know, depending on what's happening in the world, they might only meet quarterly. Um, so things wait, things take time. Um, you know, Scott, I think, made a comment before about it, you can get tied up in legals. That is true. Um, we have particular requirements that we require in our service provision documents, and if they're not there, it just keeps getting batted back. Mm. Um, so it can be frustrating for small companies that, doesn't have as deep pockets as ours for legal bills. I get that. Um, I would say patience and flexibility is the key there and expecting that it will take time, expecting that 
it will take multiple meetings, there'll be multiple conversations, and you may have to deal with several different stakeholders before you actually nail the deal and get to documentation phase. So time and patience is, is my tip for everybody. <laughs> for everyone here for sales. And what about uh, yourself, Greg? Anything that you'd like to add? Uh, probably a little bit more nimble being a private business and not as, as large because we can act pretty quickly if we find something that um, or it suits what we're doing, um, Simon. But um, I was just going to say, Simon, too, I have got to get back into a board meeting that I dived out of to do this, so I hope you don't mind if I uh, run. <laughs> not at all. I was going to – it is it is time, so I was actually going to run it up there anyway. So. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just grabbing your last comment and then I was going to say, look, I think that's it unless anyone any – anyone else had anything to say, but that was going to be it. Um, and I'm sure we could discuss this all day. Does any, anyone want to add anything other than that? No? Okay, great. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, Katrina, thank you. Sharif, uh, Greg, and Scott. Um, Thanks for allowing us to participate. Cheers. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Uh, look, just before I go, so I'd also like to thank the PropTech Association Committee and especially Kylie Davis, our president, for help for their help with this event. Um, look, we'll be holding more webinars to do with PropTechs and the commercial property over the next few months, so please stay tuned or follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook. And a very big thank you to Stone and Chalk for getting uh, behind this event and their support of the PropTech industry. So. Thank you everyone for your time and 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 have a great afternoon. Yeah.